Hey everybody, it's Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about being right with God. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to let you know that we have a bunch of cool things, important things I should say, coming up online in the near future. About a week ago, we had a leadership meeting, and in that meeting, we spent over an hour brainstorming how we could continue to help people experience and express God's glory, which is the mission of our church. Out of that meeting came a lot of great ideas that are going to turn into a lot of really important things, I think, that we're going to put online. And we're going to do some things to help people connect more fully to our church. We're going to do some things to help people grow spiritually. We're going to do some things to help people find a way to serve when they're stuck at home. And so I'm really excited about the things that we have coming up. And I'm telling you that because I want you to be a part of those things, but you won't be a part of them if you don't know the details. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to creekside.me and subscribe to our newsletter. Creekside.me is really our home on the web for all the next steps at our church. And when you get there, you just scroll down a little bit. You'll see a button that says subscribe, click it, fill out the form, and then you will be on our newsletter, which means you will get the details about these events that we have coming up. Again, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, everybody. Uh, If you're at home and you can't see, we've got a wild crowd here today. So hopefully they'll be interactive uh, and help me out when I need them to interact. Uh, I've been wildly conflicted lately. Uh, I am an educator and a chaplain for middle school and high school kids. Uh, And if you don't know the current state of our educational system, it's that we're not meeting at all, and it's all done online. And uh, recently in a staff meeting, I broke down and I was uh, crying with the teachers, frankly, because I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a chaplain. Because uh, presently, the failure rates are hovering around 50% for kids here in Oregon. Uh, It is up uh, by almost an order of magnitude. If you don't know that, that is a mathematical term, that's a lot. And suicide rates are almost up as just as much in teens. And I am seeing kids in my, in my circle who are straight-A students who are failing and who are depressed and who are thinking about suicide. And I am conflicted as a chaplain because as a chaplain, I'm a shepherd of these kids. And I am told that it would somehow be wrong of me to chase after them. And I finally broke down to my fellow staff members and I said, look, on the one hand, we need to follow the rules, and I agree, we need to follow the rules. On the other hand, I look at the book of Acts where the apostle John and Peter were being flogged for preaching the good news. And the authority said, didn't we tell you not to? And they said, we must follow God rather than man. And I turned to Matthew chapter 18, 6, where it says, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into a, into a lake than cause one of these little ones to stumble. And I'm thinking, my goodness, am I causing these ones to stumble? What do I do? What do I do? 
And you see that in our churches, where some churches are doing things differently. And I think that you'll see that there is conflict in us, too, sometimes, in terms of what are we supposed to be doing? And we don't just think about this uh, in, on this one topic. We think about what we're supposed to be doing all the time. Even if it's, my wife is like, should I go hang out with people or should I do the dishes at home? What should I be doing? Should I do this? Should I do that? What am I supposed to be doing? In fact, my, my mother would always tell me that my pets, whatever I had at the time, usually dogs, they would uh, sort of mimic me in whatever I was doing. Uh, I remember one time I was driving away, I, I think I was angry, and my mom happened to be driving by while I was driving, and I was just mean mugging. Two hands on the steering wheel, mean mugging, and my dog, Rocky at the time, was sitting in the passenger seat, mean mugging. Just doing what I was doing. And through the course of this sermon, I wanna, you'll, hear, you'll see me swing back to some of these questions about what are we supposed to be doing. But on the topic of animals mimicking us, uh, there was a, uh, some zoologists in Germany who noticed that some of their chimpanzees, these are not monkeys, they're greater apes, by the way, I recently learned, and these great apes would look at their children that were playing with their food and would shake their head no. No, don't play with your food. And zoologists have been making these observations about great apes, chimpanzees, for a long time that they'll look at human behavior and they'll actually do those things. In fact, they'll eat junk food when they want to calm their nerves. They'll laugh out loud when they think things are funny. And if you put out toys before them, the females will choose gender-specific toys, as will the males. You'll have girls with the cuddly, the dolls, and things of that nature, and the, and the boys will grab the monster trucks and the things that are hardy, and you can swing or you can roll. In fact, when you look at chimpanzees, they'll mimic so much of human behavior. Martin Luther, who was the Protestant reformer over 500 years ago, asked this question. He said monkeys, and we'll give it to him. He said, what, what will a monkey have to do? That is, what would it take for a monkey to become human? That is, what, what would a monkey have to do to become human? And for us, as it was for them, it is instinctual. There's nothing a monkey can do to become human. It would take an act of God for a monkey to become a human. It doesn't matter how much it, it pretends to be human. It doesn't matter how much behavior it mimics. No amount of human-like pretending will cause a monkey to become human. It won't be like, well, you did all the right things, so now... You're human. When it comes to our own positioning within Christianity, sometimes we think, what do I need to do 
to earn heaven? What do I need to do to be a righteous person? What do I need to do to be a good person? Here's what's interesting about that question. It is far more subtle, but it is no less absurd than the question, what can a monkey do to become human? When we look at our verse in Romans, Paul is making it very clear that God did not come to call the righteous because there are none. He came to call the, right, the unrighteous, the ungodly to himself. In fact, he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 1, there are no righteous, not one. And what I want to try to do today is shift your focus from what what can we do back to its proper place to what has God already done. I want to focus on faith. And faith is about reorienting ourselves away from what we can do Back to what God has already done, because we are a very what-can-we-do kind of culture. And I want us as Christians to be a what-has-God-done kind of culture. And so let me read uh, how Paul phrases this in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. He says this, uh, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David says this, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So here is my overarching point. Here is the theme. Faith shifts our focus from what we can do to what God has already done. You'll hear me say that. Faith shifts our focus from what we can do to what God has already done. And so with the first, I want to talk about how with faith we are justified. That's a Christian word, justification. You don't uh, necessarily hear people talk about justification all the time uh, unless they say, what is your justification for that? What is your reason? How can you make that work? Let me give an analogy that I, that I heard. It was about a, a man who was in Europe who had a Rolls Royce. You know what a Rolls Royce is? For some of you, it may be better said, a very expensive car. He had a very expensive car. And he was taking a, a, a trip, and so he put it on a, a boat And he went across the continent, he brought his Rolls Royce with him, and he was driving around, and then something terrible happened, something with the motor. He's not a mechanic, he doesn't know, but it's not working. 
He's in his Rolls Royce. He's stuck. He's in a different uh, country. He doesn't know uh, what to do, so he calls him up, the Rolls Royce company, and he says, look, something's up with the motor. And they say, no problem. We'll send somebody. They send a mechanic by helicopter. This mechanic comes, he fixes the motor, and he gets in the helicopter, and he takes away, and the man with the Rolls Royce is thinking to himself, how much is that going to cost me? (laughs) That's going to be a lot of money. And when he gets home, he writes a letter. A letter is when you don't really want an answer right away. So he writes a letter and he sends it. He says, how much is this going to cost me? And he gets a letter back that says, sir, we have no record of anything ever going wrong with your Rolls Royce. Think about this. How many of you know that you've done wrong things in your life? That means you owe. Your your account has debt, and you owe. And when you get up to heaven, you know what God is going to say because you have Jesus? He's going to look at your record, and he's going to say, Sir, miss, I have no record of anything going wrong in your life. You see, the man knew that he ought to owe, but he in fact did not. And we too should know that we ought to owe, but through Jesus, we do not. It's not that we didn't do anything wrong or that something didn't go wrong or that we didn't owe. It's that something else got credited to our account. And that's, that's that faith that it talks about faith was credited as righteousness. You see that? By believing in Jesus Christ, that faith is what saved. And here's why they make a point about, about works. Um, first, let me read Galatians 2.16, where this is Paul, and this is important uh, in Galatians. You may not know this. But Paul is calling out a guy named Cephas. If you, if you don't know, that's a different name for Peter, the apostle Peter. The rock upon which the church was built, the number one apostle. And here is Paul in Galatians saying, Peter, you're not doing it right. Peter, you're getting it wrong. Because Peter was sitting at a table of Gentile Christians, and he was, by all accounts, acting like a Gentile himself. Why? Because he understood that the law wasn't important anymore, so he was eating with the Gentiles, which as a Jew you weren't allowed to do, but he was. Why? Because Jesus ushered in a new system. But some Jewish Christians were coming. And Peter got embarrassed, like they would think of him in a wrong way. And so Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and went to the table of the Jews. 
And it says, even Barnabas, who was a companion of the Apostle Paul, was led astray by this. That is, they began to see a distinction between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, as if the Jewish Christians were somehow better because they had to do things, or they did do things, or because of their old ways of following the law, that they were somehow better Christians. And Paul called him out. Know that a person, he says in Galatians 2.16, is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified, there's that word, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And why he wants to make this is, is important, because if you, how many of you work? Okay. How many of you did work at some point? Okay. I think there are some retired people here. Yeah. <laughs> but you worked before. Now imagine you work whatever, you're nine to five, you get paid weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, I don't know, you're on salary, you're on hourly, it doesn't matter. It's paycheck day, but your boss comes to you and you says, you know what, I know you've been working hard, thank you so much, but we're not going to do paychecks this time around. And you're not going to be like, you know what, you've been so gracious in the past. I know that you give me money out of the kindness of your heart. And so I graciously accept the fact that you're not paying me. You'd say, excuse me? You owe me. That's not money that you just get to decide whether or not you're going to give or not give. I worked for it. I put in the effort. You pay me or you're getting sued. You pay me or things are going to go really wrong for you. And see, Paul understands that this would be a problem if you thought, if you thought that you could somehow work and deserve what God has for us. Newsflash, you can't. There is not anything you can do, not, not any amount of effort could ever, ever have you deserve what Christ has given you. And the reason that he wants to shift the focus away from work is because you should never, ever feel like you deserve it. Feel like you're owed it. It's not about what you can do. It is about what God has already done. When I get to this point then, with faith, we understand the nature of works. I want to talk about, swing back to Martin Luther, who I mentioned before. He was a Protestant reformer. That is, at his time in his younger life, only the Catholic Church existed. And he was, uh, on a day in July of the year 1505, he was a traveler, and he was uh, trudging through a, a parched road. And then it began to rain heavily. And he had his university garb on. He was ready to go to the university. And then a thunderstorm struck and it, a lightning bolt hit right near him. Imagine being flung off the road because of lightning striking so close to you. I imagine that you would be as afraid 
of, of death as he was in that moment. Lightning struck so near him, he's literally tossed into the mud on the road, and he cries out, not to God because uh, that was a bit taboo then, but to a saint. He cried out to Saint Anne, and he said, I promise if my life is spared, I'll become a monk. Well, he didn't die, and he was true to his word. He became a monk. And at the uh, monastery, he says this. Uh, he would be very happy after all of the vigils and the prayers, and there was a thing called the mortification of the flesh, if you've never heard about it. But imagine that you literally beat your body because you think you deserve it, right? At that time, you could go to probably a Catholic school and the nuns would hit you. But imagine that you think yourself so bad that you hit yourself because you deserve it. Maybe you flog your back or whatever, or you willingly sleep at night without a blanket so that you are cold and miserable. Why? Because it's the mortification of the flesh. You deserve it. You are paying for your sins. He would uh, feel so tormented, Martin Luther, that he took his ink bottle, and you could see it in his old cell at the monastery. There's ink on the wall, and he threw it at Satan yelling at Satan because he felt so tormented. He, get away from me, Satan. And after these vigils and fasts, of which he did more than you were supposed to, sometimes he would say, I have done nothing wrong today. And then the misgivings would arise, and he would think, have I fasted enough? Am I poor enough? And then he would strip himself of everything that it says that was decent, so presumably he was in his underwear so that he had nothing, and he would try to live life with as little as possible. And he says this, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on any longer... I should have killed myself with vigils. Then something radical happened. Martin Luther became a professor. And after he did a study on the book of Psalms, he did a study on the book we're in right now, Romans. And Martin Luther realized for the first time that all of his works had been for nothing. And rather than scare him, he was the happiest he had ever been in his life. He, he finally realized, I can't do anything. But it says here in Romans that the faith that I know I already have is all that matters. He finally realized it's not about what he can do, but it's about what God has already done for him. He thought, I can't do this, I can't do that, but I have faith in Christ Jesus, and I'm hearing for the first time that that's enough, that my faith is all that matters. And so for Martin Luther, 
he went on to read the book of Galatians. And by 1517, he was breaking away from the Catholic Church, who was telling him, you need to work for salvation. And he said, no, no. Jesus has done the work already. And for us in our own lives, I know it's easy for us to get caught on what we ought to be doing. And I hate for you to think that as Christians, no, you don't need to to live a good life. You don't need to try to do nice things or kind things. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, Paul did preempt this. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, 1, when he said, well, what, sh- what then shall we say? Oh, we, you have it right up there. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? See, the, the point here is this. And it will be the third point that I make, but that faith, while it is the only thing that saves us, Faith is a demonstration that our hearts are oriented in the right direction. When you are putting your faith in Jesus Christ, good things just come from that. But it doesn't mean we always get it right. And this is why, this is what I like to hear and, and and what I look at when I see my son and when I see, especially I teach young kids. And You ever just see that they're trying, but man, sometimes they fall short? The third point I want to make is this. With faith, we understand that trying to please God pleases God. With faith, we understand that trying to please God pleases God. So not too long ago, literally this was two weeks ago, I was in the car with my son. I was he he gets to go to school for the daycare exemption. And uh, so I was driving home with him, and as often is the case, he fell asleep in the car on our way home. And uh, it's about a 30-minute ride. I'm getting to a a stoplight that is um, red, and so I stop there, and we're really near our home at this point. So I reach back, and I squeeze his knee. And he wakes up, and he kind of flutters out of the sleep, and he says, Dad you'd be so proud of me. I'd be like, why? I was dreaming about doing my homework. (laughs) I thought, well, it'd be better if you actually did your homework, but in fact, I was proud. I I did ask him, "What, what homework were you doing? And he said, hmm, I don't remember. Let me go back in. And then he closes his eyes as if to jump back into his dream and figure it out. He never did. But I was proud of him. I was proud of him because his heart was towards good things. And faith is our orientation towards good things. And if you've ever watched a kid play a sport, I've had the luxury of watching my son play t-ball and play soccer. In fact, when I watched him playing soccer, you could tell, man, he wanted to get that ball into his opponent's goal. And sometimes he was flailing about, he'd run, sometimes he'd miss the ball completely. He spent a lot of time on the ground because he fell down a lot. 
but he'd get up, he'd run after the ball, he'd try to get it and do exactly what he was supposed to be doing. And despite him falling down, despite him not always doing it the right way, despite him getting it wrong and running the wrong direction sometimes, he was trying and I loved it. I loved it. God, like a parent, looks at us and says, are you trying? Are you trying to get it right? Trying pleases God. You're going to mess up. You're going to fall down. You're not going to always get it right. I told you at the beginning that I am conflicted. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to be doing, but God knows that I am trying. God, I want to do it right. And he looks at that and he says, I love that. I love that you are trying. Because we've also seen those kids who sit in the grass and play with it. And they're not even in the game. And you see those parents like I would be. I'm going to have a talk with I'm going to have a talk with them afterwards. This is, you know, I know Chad would be furious. Are you kidding me? Chad would, Chad would not be saying, we're going to have a conversation later. They'd be having a conversation right then and there. Make other parents like, ooh. <laughs> it's, one th- it's one thing to try and not do well, but it's another thing entirely to not try at all. Faith is our trying. It is our heart oriented in the right direction. In fact, listen to this. It says this in Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It is impossible without faith to please God. I think at a time like this, where we are often conflicted about what we ought to be doing, that we should remember that faith gets us to see the most important thing. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God has already done. We understand that the nature of works is is really just to demonstrate that we cannot do it, that we cannot make it, that we cannot do anything to deserve it. It's all about what Christ has already done. There is only one thing for us, and that is our faith. And faith is our trying. And trying to please God pleases God. And I hope that every single person in this room and every single person who is watching is trying. And it also means that we should have grace for other people. When we see that they have faith and they are trying, and they may be doing things differently than we are, like you see churches who are saying, we're going to meet anyways. Or you see people who said, you know what, I I can't follow these. I I feel morally convicted not to, and others are saying, "I, I think I need to. Do you have faith in Jesus? Are you trying to be faithful to what he's calling you to do? Then that pleases God.
because we need to remember that it's nothing that we do that justifies us. It's totally and entirely what Jesus has already done. And I pray that we remember that in our lives.